excited to share this series of podcasts with you. This summer, we've invited experts in the City and Guilds Foundations Network to help us explore how training and school development can increase inclusion and diversity in our organisations. We'll explore how employers can positively impact the lives of people with lived experience in prison by helping them to gain employment. Welcome to everybody. Welcome to this series of um, City and Guilds Foundation events that we're putting on. Um, that are all around um, the role that training and learning and development can play in helping us to create more diverse and inclusive organisations. I'm Sally and I'm the director of the City and Guilds Foundation and a lot of what we do is around focused on supporting people with barriers to skills progression and even getting into jobs and we also like to share best practice um, with uh, our networks. So our session today is focused around um, excluded groups, specifically people with convictions or who've been in really serious trouble and the challenges that places um, in them finding meaningful work. If I put that into a little bit of context, every year some 70,000 people are released from prison and many of these have had successful work before they went in and yet only 17% are in work, paid work a year after they're released. Having a job alongside um, having support network and somewhere to live is one of the key components in helping ex-offenders rebuild their lives. And we also know, know it means that they're less likely to re-offend. And on top of that, there's benefits to UK PLC in terms of helping to reduce the staggering 15 billion annual cost of re-offending. So as hopefully we'll hear today, um, the experience of employing ex-offenders is largely very positive but it's not without its challenges. And that's why we're really pleased to have some experts here today who can help you know, us explore that more and find out what it's really like and what the opportunities and challenges are. So, and we'd also like to end by asking you to pledge to do something, whether that's find out something more or take some action. Um, this is something we're trying to get everyone to do as part of this series. So I'll come back to that at the end. So now, um, if I go straight to my panel now, without further ado, I'm delighted to be able to introduce um, Serini, Serini Runawake from the New Futures Network. Really lovely to see you. Thank you for joining us. Um, second of all, we've got James Timpson, who is a City and Guilds Fellow, but also CEO of Timpson's. I'm sure everyone here is familiar with Timpson's. They're getting your keys cut, your shoes fixed, and even just to get great customer experience. So do pop into a Timpson's. Um, and Last but not, no means least, Claire Wood, who is a director at Deloitte, a brand you might not be think is necessarily associated with this area. So I'm delighted to have you all with me today. Thank you for joining. We were going to have somebody else, John Danes, um, but unfortunately he's got laryngitis, so we are letting him off on this occasion. But we're hoping to do another event, so we'll, um, we'll be inviting him at a future time. So welcome to all of you. could just perhaps start by asking you to go around and just say a little bit about why you're here today and why you think this, this is such an important area for us. James, maybe I could start with you. Okay, um, hi everyone. Uh, someone has started drilling next door, so I hope you, hope you, can, <laughs> you can hear what I'm saying. Um, the reason why I'm interested in this area is because I've been fortunate to meet so many people from prison who's joined, joined our business and it's made our business a stronger, more successful, more interesting, more diverse and happier 
company. And I'm just amazed more people, more companies and more organisations don't employ people from prison. So I'm sure a number of you on, on this um, on, on, on this um, webinar are people who are engaged with prisons anywhere or interested in prisons and you, and you already get it. But maybe today we can explore some of the details around it, how it all works and, and, and how you can get the, the, the best out of it. But to me, one of the greatest things about my job is walking around a prison and meeting people who become future colleagues of mine and then flourish um, as an equal. So that's what I'm interested in. Thank you. Serene, how about you? You work with a number of employers, don't you? I do. Hi. Hi, everyone. And thank you, Sally, for asking me to be part of the panel today. So I'm Serene. So I work for the New Futures Network. So that's the part of Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service, um, which is a specialist part of the service that um, the purpose of which is to bridge build partnerships between employers so that could be local regional or nationally based employers that work across England and Wales um, and I suppose why I'm here today and what I'm interested in, in the topic is because my team is um, made up of about 17 regional employment brokers who work across the country so across England and Wales to do just that so they support employers to work with prisons to provide work opportunities for serving prisoners and I suppose the gold standard which is an, a job on release so that's um, why I'm interested and we, I suppose our, our team are, are there to uh, support lots of uh, businesses to bridge those uh, gaps build those links and meet the wonderful men and women inside our prisons to get to know them learn about them and see if they would be suitable for uh, to take up uh, vacancies on release. Thank you. And Claire, what about you? Morning, everybody. Hi, Sally. Thank you for having me here this morning. So unlike James, we're at the very um, start, really, of our um, uh, uh, kind of exploring the opportunities that there might be within Deloitte for um, ex-offenders. And Deloitte is a very heavily regulated uh, business, so it's um, complicated, <clears throat> a complicated landscape for us. But my personal interest in this started through being part of a mutual mentoring programme that we uh, conducted in October, November time last year. Um, and in fact, I am uh, still in touch with the young man that I was matched with. In fact, we're speaking this evening. Um, and it, it's just been the most interesting experience. I've learned tons from him. Um, and it has really, I think, opened my eyes to the opportunity of it, um, taken down some barriers, perceived uh, barriers that I had in, in my head um, about what it, what it would be like um, to have you know, young offenders as, uh, as employees. Um, and so I'm, I'm just really excited for, for the kind of what the future could hold for us and, and where this might go. we've got some very different interesting perspectives here um let's get into the why a bit more then so um Sereni, why why do you you know encourage organizations to start considering to support um employing offenders yeah you mentioned i suppose that we've got a pool of um people leaving prison so there's seventy thousand people who are released from a prison each year um and I suppose one of the misnomers about people who are in prison and um, have convictions is maybe that they might not be skilled or motivated. But I suppose um, our job is to talk, talk through the um, 
the, the fact that there are lots and lots of people that are skilled who have been employed before they they go to prison. So a third of people um, at, that go to prison and start their prison sentence have actually been in employment within the last 12 months before they start their sentence. So there, there are people there who have, have had experience. There are those that have been skilled before they go into prison, have been have education and experience. And that's um, not least they will do education and have training opportunities whilst they're inside as well. So I suppose part of the offer from New Futures Network for employers that work with us and work with prisons is to deliver some of that um, training, skills building and potentially industry level qualifications while someone is in prison. So that's through industries workshops or release on temporary license placements. So that's where prisoners can go out on day release and um, the period of you know up to a full working week to go and get some real hands-on experience, be trained up in whether it's a you know a, a shop, a cafe, whether it's on a construction site, it goes across all industries. So I suppose one of the benefits is that when you have someone leaving prison, they are they already trained sometimes to industry standard um, they're really motivated as well from quite a recent survey that we did last year we know that 82 percent of um, employers that responded said that that some of our prison leavers are the most motivated employees that they've had had on board and you've got people who really want to progress they want to go back into their communities and i suppose turn their back on crime take that opportunity for a second chance um, in reintegrating into society, um, which means they'll have more staying power as well. So you've got skilled employees who are motivated to progress, are keen to learn, are there to deliver and want to contribute to, to businesses to kind of be upskilled, as well as to be integrated within, within the community as well. Thank you. James, why did you start, what made you start employing ex-offenders and, and what do you see as the benefits? Um, we started employing people from prison just because we were lucky. So I was invited into a local prison to where we live, Thorn Cross, which is near Warrington. And I was given a young inmate, 19-year-old guy called Matthew. So he was my sort of tour guide. And I thought he was brilliant. So I slipped my business card and said, listen, Matthew, when you're out, give me a ring and I'll give you a job. And then he's, Matthew's still with us today. In fact, bizarrely, he works in one of our shops that's closest to the prison that he was in. And he was really good. So I thought, go and get a few more. And, you know, any organisation needs great people. And it's amazing where you find them, you know, from lots of different places. So the, the main way we recruit in our business is through introduce a friend. Uh, then our next one is through prisons. And what we found is you, there are no shoe repairers or key cutters in prison who are qualified to the job. But there are lots of people who have what we're looking for, which is a really good personality. So we want people who are fun, interesting, engaging, sparky, a bit quirky people who've just got something about them that customers are like and colleagues would like. Um, but you may be the world's best shoe repairer, but if you're miserable, lazy, scruffy and weird, we don't want you. So what we find in prison, um, a bit like what, you, what, you, what you've heard before on the call, is that we find incredibly motivated people, people who have got to a point in their life where they want to do normal, they want to have a normal job, they want to provide for their families, they want to be home to read their kids' bedtime stories, and they want to put the past behind them and have a bit of a new me. Um, and they need three things. They need somewhere to live, someone to look out for them and a job. And we're in the business of the job. And what we find is the colleagues who join us from prison are more likely to stay with us longer 
and will be more successful. So we have directors who join us from prison. We have area managers, which in our business is, a, is sort of the, the, the big job. Um, and now one in nine of my colleagues, so over 600 colleagues are people who we first met in prison. And, uh, you know, what's, what's bizarre is you may think, oh, what's the perception? So if we take Deloitte as an example, you know, with all the regulations, well, you know, we do have people in the House of Lords who've been to prison. And that's a pretty regulated place. They actually enforce the regulations on us. Um, but I think customers come into our shops more because they know we recruit people in prison than avoid us because we recruit people in prison, even though a load of our customers think that everybody in the company joins us from prison. It was not everybody, just one in nine. So hopefully that gives you a broad spectrum. But just, just things worth, worth finishing on the point, which is I'm a really commercial person. And I want our business to be really successful and make profits and do all the things a normal business would do. And uh, I think we, I think that the thing we found that recruiting people from prison is good for business is something that I'm amazed other businesses don't learn from. I think this is probably one of the um, stigmas or the you know miss whatever informations around it, isn't it? Because we all have perceptions, and I think that again, that's very much what we're trying to do today: understand. What is the reality? So it's really interesting to hear that you say that um, actually the colleagues that you have that joined from prison stay with you longer. Uh, and Sereni, what you said about the fact that um, the people actually are very motivated. So, you know, I, I don't think they would be common perceptions, you know, from if you asked, you know, did a general survey on it. Um, Claire, just, you know, clearly your, your experience is a bit different. You're approaching it differently. But can you just talk a little bit about some of how, why did you start off the way you have with it? And how, what are you going to do next with it? So Deloitte had a, um, a relationship through our corporate social responsibility programme with an organisation called uh, Cracked It. Um, and it was actually, I think, the founder of Cracked It who came to us with the idea for a mutual mentoring uh, programme. And, and that's kind of how it how it came about. Um, and I think it's, you know, from our perspective, it's not something we had explored at all uh, previously. So we um, wanted to do the, the pilot, partly because the work, um, the relationship that we'd had with Cracked it had, had been a very successful relationship. Um, and, and partly because, um, you know, to, to James's point, people go to his stores because they know um, that you know one of the kind of the, the purposes of his business is to hire ex-offenders. Well, purpose is a very um, important thing at, at, at Deloitte. We do a lot of work across all um, all aspects of the community, whether it's mental health or and um, you know supporting social businesses. But this was one aspect that, that we hadn't uh, that, that we hadn't explored. So um, we felt that it you know at least we you know we should explore it. Um, and the, the people who were involved in the mutual mentoring program um, were kind of some of our most senior people because we needed it to be some of the decision makers, mm -hmm. if you like, um, you know, to, to be involved in the people who can actually then kind of influence this and, 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 and take it, you know, take it forward. And that's what we're exploring at the moment. From my personal perspective, I completely echo, you know, some of James's points. Um, you know, the, the young man I was I was matched with is brilliant. I mean, he's just he's completely not what I would have um, expected in my kind of very narrow, not really knowing, you know, perspective of what a young offender might be like. He's well educated. He's extremely articulate. He's currently teaching himself and therefore me about foreign exchange trading. Um, you know, none of that is kind of, you know, is what I is what I had expected. And, and I think, you know, personally, I went in to do this 
for a couple of reasons. Um, one is I, I genuinely believe that you know we as Deloitte should you know should give something back. I fully buy into kind of our purpose, but also I've got two boys of my own, um, and I kind of think well you know I can't expect other people to be helping if I'm not prepared to do something. And, you know, hopefully I'm gonna try and keep my own children on the straight and narrow, but you never know, right? Stuff happens along the way. Um, so I'd like to think that there was, you know, should they ever end up in the situation, there would be support there for, for them. And if I'm not prepared to do that for somebody else's child, then why would somebody be prepared to, you know, to do it, you know, to do it for mine? And it, it has just been the most interesting thing I've done all year. And that's in a pandemic year. So there's been a lot of interesting things that have happened, but it has genuinely been the most interesting and the most rewarding thing that I've done all year. And now I look at it, you know, to James's point, and I think, well, there's a whole population of people that we're missing, that we're not, um, you know, if we pride ourselves on having an inclusive society, then we're not. <laughs> we, we, you know, the, there's a population of people that we're missing here and, and um, you know, a skill set that, that we're missing, you know, a, a bunch of people that we're just not attracting as potential future employees. And, and we are nothing without our employees. And as your, um, your other senior colleagues as well, you said you deliberately took senior leaders through this yes. programme. Um, how did how did you feel how did that go and and did, do others have similar experiences to you would you say well, completely, completely it was universally a, a positive experience um you know our, our kind of north south europe coo was one of the, the the big participants in it um you know so a, a kind of, i guess board level type you know equivalent mm -hmm. uh, equivalent position um and and he just he loved it he just got so much out of it um, and we had some great success stories. We had uh, we had somebody find a job. We were all able to use our network. So my young man um, got the opportunity to do a, a, a marketing qualification free through a, a contact of, of mine at the Data and Marketing Association. Um, we helped somebody else um, get a uh, get a job and used um, our networks to introduce somebody to um, a gym owner because they wanted to be a, PT, a personal trainer. So there was a whole load of success stories came out. Of the back of it for the individuals but I, I I don't think it would be too much to say that actually we the, the delight people involved in it got at least as much out of it if not if not more um it really genuinely was it was one of the most active whatsapp groups I've ever been on <laughs> it was Billy Miro you know swapping stories and comparisons and asking for help for our individuals that we were working with it was brilliant just brilliant so it's so sound fascinating and it's so interesting that this out of this whole year you said it's the thing that's really you know made the most impact on you absolutely um Sereni, is there anything that you would add from john's perspective if he was here because i know that you know him don't you in terms of just sticking with the why at the moment before we look at a bit more of the sort of you know how um mm -hmm. is there anything you think he would be pointing out if he was with us today I think so. So um, for those of you that haven't read the bio, so John is, um, he's one of the, I think, managers at um, the Raw Talent Programme. So that's Ready and Working, the talent programme that the organisation Cook run. So they're based in um, Sittingbourne and are kind of a catering organisation. So from what I understand, John um, John's sort of history was, was similar to many people who you'll come across um, that's going through the prison system. They've had maybe a cycle of offending that's maybe started in their youth and has um, unfortunately spanned a quite a few years. Um, and where I suppose John, like many others, were um, faced with disadvantages and many kind of 
um, tricky circumstances in their lives. So that could have been um, homelessness, it could include addiction or dependencies, other dependencies. Um, and I suppose it's that cycle of offending and going back into prison and maybe not um, taking all of the opportunities that are on hand in terms of the rehabilitation and support. I mean, James, you mentioned that there are kind of three things that you need for positive resettlement, and one of them being employment, other being a, a family support network, um, of course, accommodation and help with um, substance misuse as well. I think when all of those things come together, um, and particularly employment, employment can be a real springboard to get your life back on track and to really in, reintegrate you into society. I suppose, reflecting a little bit, Claire, on what you said around having a job, I mean, one of the things that's really kept me going over, over COVID in this real uncertain period where, you know, there's so many things that are moving and changing in the world that we're not control, in control of. Having a job is a real anchoring point to, um, you know, shaping your day. It's something that you can be proud of. It's, um, you know, you're providing income that can support your accommodation. And I think it's something that um, I suppose, John, if you were here, would probably also reflect on that. It's something really valuable for him building links with his family again, to building links with the community and being having this sort of, you know, upstanding citizen um, element to his life and his con contribution to his community to his family and society it's something to be proud of for yourself but as well as for your family thanks yeah i think um having met john myself last week or the week before i just was really struck by his passion and energy and we will be holding another event by the way where we'll be looking at the other side of the story and so we hope that you'll come back for that and john will be joining us for that <laughs> maybe now then look at the um some of the the, the re get under the skin a bit a little bit in terms of we've talked a little bit about what perceptions are um and we know that there are some real barriers and there are some perceived barriers again perhaps we can start with you Serene, because of the work that you do with the new futures network um but you know what do you think what are the genuine and what are the more perceived I suppose actually just reflecting a little bit on what um, Claire and James have said, one of the barriers that I think when I speak to employees for the first time or when we're, um, you know, you speak to an organisation, even a charitable one that works in prisons, is a perception of what a prison is like, what a prison environment is like and what a prisoner is like. Because I suppose your mind naturally goes to the worst possible types of offending. It goes to the possibly the most, you know, the worst um, deeds and worst person that you can think of. But um, I suppose in thinking about that, it's really important to think about the the person behind the, the offending. It's a person who might have, as I sort of mentioned, who might have um, had some real struggles in their lives, have made some really poor decisions have faced um, issues and circumstances beyond their control, like uh, homelessness and addiction. It could be someone that's caught up with the wrong crowd, and it could be someone that's kind of caught, caught into the cycle of um, offending. That's not to say that um, individuals haven't done bad things, but I suppose the purpose of prison is that it's partly to do with punishment and partly a, a space for rehabilitation. And that rehabilitation is really important because it's, it's a, a, the sorts of things that you can 
find in prison is people that are motivated to go and learn new skills, to take part in education. You have thousands of people um, going out, uh, sorry, you know, taking part in training courses, uh, getting their literacy and numeracy skills up to a better level. And also those soft skills that James mentioned. So just, you know, confidence building, your ability to communicate with others, just being able to show up, to turn up your, energy, enthusiasm, positivity, um, and those sorts of uh, soft skills. So it's taking away the perception of an offender as someone that is you know, someone really scary, mm -hmm. but actually thinking about that, the, the, the person first, in the sense that they've got something to, um, to give, they've got kind of positive attributes and are skilled and, and motivated. Um, Sorry, a slight, a slight ramble here, but one of the other things is um, just, I suppose, a misconception about uh, the nature of offending. So thinking about offence groups in, in one way and thinking about disclosure in, one, in criminal convictions in one way. So I suppose as an employer, employers regularly ask about what sorts of convictions would mean that someone might not be able to work with them so that's legally unable to or in a perceptions way unable to and that comes up quite a lot when it comes to specifically violent and sexual offending but I suppose um, with thinking about convictions it's about understanding that a violent offence or a sexual offence can um, describe a whole range of offending from um, you know your lowest level offences to the most severe things um, and the way we would talk to employers that the New Futures Network work with is to understand, to, to work with the individual, to meet them in prison and to understand the context and the circumstances of that offending and be able to start those conversations where it's appropriate to do so and, you know, where it's part of the recruitment process to really understand why someone committed a crime or a number of crimes and what has changed since and to, to sort of see it as a journey rather than a point in time where someone is done bad. James, is there any, um, from your experience, any, anything you think employers can do to support people when they're, you know, in this situation? Because we, we know it isn't just a job, it is support as well, extra support. Is there anything that you've done at Timpsons or anything that you've seen done elsewhere that you think is good or helpful? Yeah, we've learned over the years what, what works, what doesn't work, but it's not universal because we're dealing with people and people have their own complexities. So the things that do work is a very clear objective of what they need to do in the job. We like it when people come on day release or on, on rottle because they sort of, they get used to how work works. They get used to getting up in the morning, putting on their uniform, going to work at the shops. Um, just pre-COVID, we have seven shops being run by colleagues who go back to prison every night. Um, so what we find is when they're on rottle, they, the, the, the placement is like 98% going to be successful because they're just in the swing of it. When people leave prison to come and work for us, we want them to start. So if they left today, they start working for us tomorrow. Every day and week that goes on without them being in employment, even if they're sort of planning on coming to us, is a disaster. So we want them to just get stuck in. And then the other thing we've learned is we were probably a bit too cuddly to start off with. We're trying to solve all their problems, but actually they need to learn how to solve their own problems. 
So we help them financially. We'll help with the rent deposit of a flat. We'll help them with, give them some money so they can buy clothes and a bus ticket and that sort of stuff. But I was sort of, I mean, I remember once year, years ago, my mother-in-law was looking after someone's dog um, who, just, who just left prison and we were doing all these sort of various things. But it, it, you need to be careful what is helpful and what is not helpful. Um, we also have learned the sort of people where it works and where it doesn't work. And so if you can hit this, the, the hoovering above, so um, Pauline, our wonderful cleaner, is hoovering above, that's the noise you can hear. Um, so I apologise. Um, but we, we don't have much success with men under the age of 25. We don't find that they're mature enough. Um, we have lots of success, disproportionate amount of success with women from prison. Um, and we employ people who do every offence apart from sex offences and arson. So they each come, each person who has a different, has a different criminal history, has a different story and a different way of supporting them. But essentially we treat them as a normal colleague and let them get stuck in. And if they fall over, we help them probably more than we would colleagues who don't come from prison. Um, but we want to be quite firm with them too. So actually taking quite an individualistic but common sense approach sounds you know I think we can get stuck behind the fear and thinking there must be all these rules there must be something that we don't understand actually it is we are just talking about people we're all people right so you know and there are anybody can find themselves in this situation sorry just last one one of the things we learned is a full-time job is really important part-time job causes problems because the probation are all over them still. If they have a full-time job, the probation teams leave them alone. And also they're only enough money that they don't need the benefits and they don't need other support that the state has. So they can sort of fly more freely. That's interesting, because I imagine a lot of people, a lot of employers might think, well, actually, maybe I'll try this on a part-time basis. So actually, I think that's a really good something to share with the people we've got here today, because getting stuck in quickly, and giving someone a full-time job, being really clear of what's expected, those three tips, I'm sure, are really valuable. Um, certainly, I wouldn't have known those things, so thanks for sharing that. Claire, what about, um, just, an, I know that you is a different approach, and you're doing understanding it through the mentoring perspective, but do you think that, um, do you think that mentoring can play a really big role in helping um people with convictions build successful careers can you see it have you know continue oh absolutely i think um we're exploring uh, a number of options um that, that we might take as a as a firm as formal steps as an organization and, and one of them is um to continue doing mentoring um i i think there's a statistic that says that you know most jobs are got through somebody you know and I think James mentioned you know their, their number one way of employing people is you know in, you know invite a friend uh, to apply for a job and, and I know you know that's certainly true of, uh, of Deloitte but if you don't have that kind of network if you don't have somebody who can help you access that that kind of network um then I think that becomes quite quite difficult and that's when I think you hear of people you know applying for a hundred jobs and and you know and, and not getting uh, not, not getting anywhere because there's no kind of personal connection to any of those roles so and um, for me that was one of the things that worked best when I look at the successes of our mutual mentoring program because we were able to use either our own networks um, or, or leverage each other's networks to find a contact um, or somebody who could help 
um, you know, whichever whichever mm -hmm. request it was from whichever one of our uh, of the young offenders that we were working with. Um, so I do think mentoring is huge, and I think also just um, uh, and and you know, perhaps it's to James's point about um, maturity. I think um, certainly the young offenders um, having somebody who just kind of takes that kind of level of interest and it you know mm -hmm. and is prepared to help. I, I think is is hugely um, important because they might not get it from their own personal mm. circumstances and I think being able to being able to do it and being able to do it in an independent way it's not your mother doing it yeah. <laughs> um because you know what 22 year old wants to listen to their mother none of them right? <laughs> but I think some you know if somebody's prepared you know to to invest their, their time I think it's I think it's hugely important and as I say it's one of the things that we are considering um in terms of what our kind of uh, program of activity will be going forward is to is to maintain that ment uh, mentoring program. So really do you um offer any mentoring sort of placements or anything is that anything that that New Futures Network do at all? We, so our regional employment brokers and sector leads they they don't mentor in the sense of um, work with individuals, so individual prisoners. What they do um, help with is actually matching up businesses that are really interested in working with prisons to mm -hmm. other businesses that are doing, doing it. Because I think one of the best ways of understanding some of the pitfalls, um, like James mentioned, you know, of actually, you know, once someone has started a job or as they're starting to um, get into the rhythm of work and even navigating things like understanding probation, probation appointments and um, some of the other needs that someone who's just left prison um, might be required, you know, required support. Um, I think the best thing to do would be for businesses to talk to other businesses that are well versed in it. So um, our brokers will, will help facilitate that. We have a forum as well. So it's the EFRA forum. I'm not going to try and remember the what the acronym stands for because I'm sure I'll get it. The Employers there. Forum for Reducing Reoffending. There you go. Yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and that's a really good um, network for businesses. So it just helps us with some of that matching up process as well. So if an employer says to you, um, well, what kind of additional support do I need to give somebody to be, need to be prepared? What's your general answer for that? Um, there are a few things that I suppose are quite um, standard for someone that's recently leaving prison. So one of them will be that they will be under the supervision of um, probation services for the duration of the, the rest of their sentence length. Um, so I suppose the, the support provided by probation is that that officer is a point of contact for someone's well-being. They might be able to help with um, any substance misuse. Um, health accommodation needs and so on. So that's actually probably the best vehicle in which to understand the, um, what an individual might need. But I suppose it's it's really needs-led. So it's it's about talking, it's, it's like any onboarding discussion, I suppose for any new employee, you're understanding what sort of reasonable adjustments someone might need. So that might mean their working hours because they've got caring responsibilities at home. Um, so they might need adjustments in that sense. So it's just, I suppose, the normal things that you'd ask as part of any onboarding conversation and potentially some additional things that you might not have thought about that probation, probation um, officers might be able to help with um, and that our you know, individuals will be able to um, talk about themselves as well. 
actually something that just related to that, I suppose, is um, what about um, other colleagues in your businesses who've, um, how do you deal with any stigma, all of that kind of, you know, perceptions? James, Serini, particularly you two, have you got any views on, on, how, on how you handle that? If it needs handling? I'll let James go first. Okay. Um, most colleagues just want to work alongside someone who's really good, who's reliable, who works hard, who's kind, who's interesting, and helps them hit their targets. That's what we all want. Um, what, what we find is our colleagues are very happy to help someone who's coming from prison if we explain exactly what we want them to do, which is treat them like anybody else. Um, sometimes, some, some, I mean, we've had some of our colleagues who completely go over the top, and you know, the, uh, we've got a relationship with Ascombe Grange, which is an open female prison up in uh, just near York. And I remember going, going to one of our Max Spielman photoshops in Leeds, and um, the, a colleague, Sarah, who joined us from Ascombe Grange, was actually living in the family home with this colleague because she didn't have anywhere to live and all this sort of stuff. So, well, that's sort of above and beyond the call of duty. Um, but I think a number of our colleagues see it as um, it, it gives it gives their job a bit more purpose, helping someone turn their life around, and they enjoy the fact that it's not just about repairing shoes and cutting keys; it's about helping in other ways too. Srini, would you add anything? Yeah, I suppose the only thing that I would add is that it's a really unique position to be in, in knowing that someone has got a conviction if they're working with you directly from a prison so particularly if someone is on release on temporary license and just coming um, into work for the day and going back to prison and um, similarly when someone leaves prison it's, it's, it would be uh, quite unique for the you know the whole office to know about someone's um, criminal history because I suppose with people that might have served sentences so slightly lower level of ending and um, served community sentences you wouldn't commonly expect to have conversations with a wide staff network so and people that that individual will be um, interacting with day to day about the nature of someone's conviction so I suppose what what I would always um, advise employers to do is really think about the the individual's um, preferences and really who needs to know about someone's conviction and their history because some people really do see a job as their stepping stone to leaving a past a, a past they don't want to revisit just behind them and they don't want to have the label of being you know someone that's um joining from a prison or a person with conviction or an offender or, or an ex-offender so i suppose it's a, it should really be a conversation between the individual and also their manager and you know senior senior staff within the organization to understand really who needs to know and why around someone's conviction because I suppose um, for probably slightly more serious offending, it's having that job, you've already gone through the competitive recruitment process. There's probably already some form of disclosure of the nature of someone's conviction that's happened. And that should be undertaken on a, kind of a risk basis. So you're risk assessing that individual, their, their past and the, the nature of the job that they're doing. So if the nature of the job that someone is doing um, has no relation and has no re you know, relevance to the nature of their offending, I'd probably say that it's not really for anyone to know that someone has a conviction or is, is joining from prison because that a person just like anyone else who's gone through a process to be uh, recruited fairly just like anyone else. So are there any other challenges that um, have come up though that, that employers 
the, the, to give advice to people really this is that might need to be handled um worked through anything that you would say there um I suppose just to reflecting on disclosure, there's lots of guidance out there around what you're legally obliged um, or you know, legally uh, obliged to request and at which point um, in the recruitment process. Uh, there's really there's some um, handy kind of templates, tools and um, for application forms, some prompt questions um, that have been put together by the organisations NACRO and Unlock. Um, so I suppose reflecting on some of the why someone would need to know um, and have a disclosure conversation at which point in a recruitment process it's appropriate to have those sorts of conversations and who need to who needs to know the nature of someone's conviction and um, there is a lot of guidance out there and the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act um, will give you the kind of legal basis of which you can start having those conversations if they're needed at all. Um, but it's, I suppose, part of the advice that I would give to employees is to think about the size of your business and what's appropriate for you. So it's not about having this kind of unwieldy process, but it's thinking about um, what's fair and appropriate at the right time, what at the kind of the legal element of it um, and then the process of which you're doing something so really focusing on the risk basis and that need for asking those questions of someone and, and the sensitivities that come around those sorts of discussions with an individual. Can I, just, can I just jump in here we, we did it sort of a different way which is um, a CV for us most CVs we get of non of non-prison leavers um, we don't really look at because we just want the name and the phone number anyway. A lot of it's pure fantasy. It certainly was when I was a teenager looking for bar work. Um, but we don't really do any risk assessments at all, apart from we don't recruit sex offenders and we don't recruit people with us. We'll interview anybody else and we'll judge them on their personality. So, so far as risk assessments, that's just gut feel. That's just gut feel whether they're any good or not. And the fact is, you know, if you employ, if you have a company that's more than 100 people, you're probably employing people who've got criminal convictions anyway, you just don't know it because they've lied in their application form. The massive advantage of employing people directly from prison is it is a truthful CV because they can't hide from it. So it's the only time you'll actually get a, a CV that is 100% accurate and then you can judge. But the most important thing from our experience to judge is what's their personality like? Are they someone who'll fit in and work hard and get stuck in? And that's what you want. So, you know, I understand that we have to sort of talk about risk assessments and bits and pieces, but I'm risk, you know, I'm, 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 I'm taking a risk when I'm recruiting anybody anyway. But actually, I feel I'm taking less of a risk if I'm recruiting someone from prison. Because actually, know, I know what they do. I mean, when we first started recruiting people from prison, the, um, you know, I sort of, after about six months, I told everyone in the business what we're doing. And loads of people came to me saying, oh, I'm really pleased you're recruiting people from prison because actually I went to prison. This is not actually my name. I had to learn my application form, all this sort of stuff. But they're bloody good colleagues and that's all we need. So I'm, you know, maybe that's our style of running a business, but um, I don't want, I wouldn't want future employers to think it's about risk assessments and stuff. It's just about finding bloody good people. And just have a quick look at the CV. And, you know, we, are, we always ask uh, people from prison, you know, what are they sentenced for this time? And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's normally fine to crack on, recruit them, and it's something normal that we do.
I'm aware now, keeping an eye on the time, that I need to get the questions in from um, our audience. So let me just have a look and see what we've got. Um, Serena, if there's one for here for you. Is the new Future Network just for large businesses or can any size type of organisation work with you? Any size, any type. Um, we cover all industries and sectors um, and can kind of recruit across England and Wales. And lots more information on our website, newfuturesnetwork.gov.uk. Oh, as well. Hopefully that's put in the chat. Lan, if you could put that in the chat, if it isn't in there, that would be great. Sorry, I cannot keep an eye on the chat as well as doing it. <laughs> I know people can do all the multi things I can't, so I have to do it a bit differently. Um, okay, uh, more questions. So um, this is for all of you. What's the one thing that could be changed right now to make it simpler to recruit a prison leaver? Anyone want to have a go at that one? Um, everyone. Um, one thing that could be is that um, the government just changed the the, the, the treasury trade change the rules on national insurance so that companies that take on someone from prison or someone who's a, a veteran or long-term unemployed can get a financial advantage to cover some of the costs of recruiting someone from prison for the first 12 months based on a free national insurance holiday. Serena, do you have anything that you would say? Yeah, I think... Um, the disclosure process, disclosure barring and that um, thing around um, conviction. So there's some work um, going on at the moment, I think, to reevaluate the when your you know convictions get become spent and so on. So I think it's just about thinking about how much of a barrier sometimes that having a conviction can be and and taking away those barriers um, where where possible. Through, through legislation. Thank you. Claire, I don't know whether you've got anything to add, but I've got another question for you. So do you want I'll to take the other question then? Take the other question. Um, what did you learn from mutual mentoring about how to make your organisation more inclusive for underrepresented groups? That's a great question. So I think, um, I, I think it's about uh, education and educating our, you know, our own people and, um, making them um, a, a kind of understand what the actual reality of these situations are as opposed to people's perceptions um, and making it real for them. So, so sharing some of the experiences that, uh, that, that we had and are having, continue to have, because I think most of our mutual mentoring relationships have, have, have gone on well beyond the end of the, uh, the programme. Um, so I think, I think really it's about just kind of that, that sort of um, education pace um, and uh, and breaking down some of the, per the perceived barriers. Is it something that you've got all your staff talking about, by the way, just in terms of, you know, you said about doing it at the senior leader level, but how much has it then sort of permeated through to other areas? No, we haven't taken it. Uh, we haven't taken it out more, more broadly yet. I think we need to determine what it is we're going to do next. Um, and I know there's three or four uh, options that mm -hmm. we're looking at. And we may we may do all of them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that will come further down the line once we can be a bit more definitive about the steps we're going to take and why. Thank you. Right. Um, let me see. Uh, Serena, this is a question for you. My organisation requires an enhanced DBS as a condition for offer of employment. How can we go forward to recruiting ex-offenders with this in mind? So I suppose um, enhanced, the enhanced DBS, so I'm not a, a lawyer, just to, just to say uh, now, um, but 
So the enhanced EBS is a, a way of understanding the spent and unspent convictions um, of a person, and that's where you'll kind of get certified through the disclosure and borrowing service. From what I understand, there are some convictions which would um, that are, are on a list which would mean that it would be inappropriate to appoint someone with a specific um, conviction um, in a role, for example, the public facing um, role. Um, but there are others where it's more of a... It, it... Oh, might have lost Serene. Yes, I think we have. <laughs> Serene, you're back. Sorry, we lost you mid-answer. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so I was just saying, so the, um, there are some roles um, which are, uh, would mean that a person is barred if they have a specific conviction from undertaking that role, as far as I understand. But there are other roles where it would be up to the organisation to uh, take into account the nature of the conviction, have a conversation with the individual and then make a decision and make take a judgment call as to whether or not they would like to employ that um, person or not. I think there's quite a lot of information on your website as well about things like this. So I think it'd be quite good to encourage any anyone who's perhaps got specifics to maybe come via you to even be put to through to someone else or, you know, just to overcome these kind of things. Because I think from my conversation, so much is about people's perceptions as opposed to reality. Um, okay, another question. Um, it's clear that Timpsons have made a big success of employing offenders. How can we support more businesses to do the same? How can we get more businesses to... Any ideas? I think by having events like this, it always helps. I think for having the prisons to be more open to employers. So we're setting up a number of employment advisory boards in prisons. But I was doing that this morning, getting a few more of those going. So we can get employers consistently working with inside prisons um, supporting the governor and their teams to, to, to sort of develop a culture of employment long term in the prison because the, the, the rate of, of um, colleagues, senior colleagues in a prison moving around from job to job is so high it's very difficult to build long-term relationships so we're trying to build that long-term relationship and also uh, I think it's a case of um, high-profile employers like Deloitte taking people on and talking about it in a way that they're proud and it's, you know, they're, they're proud to talk about it because it's successful, it, it is what is going to work. Um, you know, we would have stopped employing people from prison years ago if I'd listened to all the sort of potential bad publicity. I mean, we did have, the, the worst one ever was Killer Cobbler Cuts Keys. Um, but actually, bizarrely after that, our, our turnover went up. So um, if that gives anybody an idea. So I think we need to be brave, we need to talk about it. And I think we need to look at it as a long-term problem not just a short-term fix. I think you talked about it in one of your columns actually um, which I thought was great a few weeks ago so I think you're right one of those um, that's your time Sunday Times columns in the business section if anyone wants to read it it's very good um, but I think it is that about talking about it promoting it talking with pride getting it out there really. Um, anything else Serene Claire you would add to that? I would yeah, agree can I just to make it commonplace then it doesn't become a thing. Do you know what I mean? It, it just becomes normal then, doesn't it? Um, and so I, I completely agree with Jane. Sorry, Serena, I talked to you. No, it's okay. I was just going to say that I think the more businesses that get involved, and particularly across the spread of industries, um, the more the kind of momentum is gained because as soon as businesses see that others are, are doing it and it becomes, like you say, Claire, um, slightly more commonplace, it doesn't become a thing anymore. Um, and I suppose, what um, our team are here to do is provide that consistency in terms of 
people that cover regions and cover all prisons um, across England and Wales to be that real point of contact to the prison service. So for those that are interested, they will have a kind of direct point of, of contact that you can ask lots of questions, be put in touch with lots of other businesses just to start those conversations and be supported every step of the way. Right, this is um, a good question. Um, uh, it's one for James. I really welcome your thoughts on why women with convictions have a higher success rate at Tibson. Why do you think that's... Um, OK, a um, number of reasons. 85% um, of women in prison are there for non-violent offence. Um, a number of women in prison that we recruit have kids and they're desperate to have a full-time job so they can kids can come back to live with them. And also, if I'm, I mean, I'm no expert on this, but this is more mature, especially, you know, when we look, when we go into young offenders and students, we've hardly had any success with YOIs. Um, but it's the, it's the level of maturity and the fact that they, that they have a massive incentive to get jobs and want to get their kids back. Um, and then this is the, to everybody, how important is the role of family in supporting the turnaround, would you say? And how do employers best support this? Any of you? I suppose hugely important. I think it's really important for the person going into work, particularly if they're starting um, a new routine, something that could be quite a, a challenging with someone who's had um, no routine before or um, not very much routine. Um, and when it comes to the world of work, to the support of family, the encouragement along the way, um, and just fosters that sense of pride. It helps that staying power, but keeps the motivation high. And I'd say that the family is the majority of the case a force for good. It can be a force for bad. It can be that we actually help someone get out of the family home, which could be a dysfunctional family environment. Um, and we do that, we help them find a flat and, and so on. But I think it's also worth, worth, worth pointing out that the, to, to lots of people, certainly for me, it, when, I, when, I was, when I was younger, the, the idea of someone going to prison is sort of pretty frightening. But for, for a number of colleagues and a number of people, it's actually normal. It sort of happens. They've got friends and relatives who go to prison. It's sort of, you know, neighbours have been in. They come out, they go back in again. It's sort of, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's something that they live with. Um, but a strong relationship is the key rather than just a, a, a strong family tie. And certainly if they have kids and a stable relationship, that's really what we want. As soon as someone says, I'm leaving prison, I've got a partner and a, and a young child, I know it's going to probably, you know, 99% certain will be successful. Um, there's actually a really interesting one here for you, James. Do you ever find that your customers are uncomfortable about the idea you employ ex-offenders? What, if anything, do you do to reassure them? Um, we, have, we have the old person say, I'm never going in your shop because you employ, you know, burglars and robbers and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I'm okay with that. Um, the, I, I think we actually... And this was never the intention, but I think we get more people who come to us because of what we do than avoid us because of what we do. Um, you'll always get customers who are miserable with certain things, and I'm, I'm happy not to take money off someone who doesn't approve of what we do. Thank you. Um, and this is to everyone. As someone who's working in HR, how should I educate the hiring community in the company that we should give a chance to someone who's just left prison? What would you say to HR people? How they can sort of influence internally where would you start from um, so, well, I'll, I'll just do, do this one then I'll let everyone else go so HR can be a real blocker on this can be a real problem because they'll invent all the reasons why you know you've got to be a process there's got to be risk assessments all this sort of stuff when actually you just treat them as a normal recruiting process because you, you've got the same risk assessments as someone who hasn't been to prison as someone who has been to prison 
So I would just see it as, a, as part of their professional job to assess someone based on their potential rather than on their past. Lovely. That's a great soundbite, James. I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> would you add anything, Clara Serini? Uh, I mean, it's not something we come across as, as yet. We're not that far down uh, on, our, on our journey, but I am definitely going to quote that to our HR people. Um, and I think that's the point, isn't it? You know, um, when James was talking earlier and, and talking about kind of finding the right kind of character and that, that's what he's interested in recruiting, I was... Um, you know, reminded of something I said recently to uh, to a colleague, which was pretty similar. Which was actually what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to find when I hire somebody is enthusiasm, because I can teach them how to do the job, whatever the job might be, but I can't teach them to be enthusiastic about it. I can't teach them to be enthusiastic about working, I mean, working for Deloitte or Timsons or you know or, or anywhere else. Um, and that actually is is the most you know is the most important thing for me, and and I'm pretty sure it actually will be the most important thing for for most employers. Absolutely, they need to have some skills and all of the rest of it. But if they've not got enthusiasm, then, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to go there. And it's, it is, I love that comment that James just made. It is about the potential. It's not about what they've done in the past. It is about the potential that you can see in them going forward. Serene, the last word goes with you. Yeah, I think a, a couple of um, other things. So, again, it's going back to those misconceptions about recruiting from prisons the best thing to do I think is to go into prison go and meet some of the people that you might be recruiting see their energy enthusiasm their motivation firsthand um, hear about this the skills and qualifications that they've um, that they've gained I mean you can go into lots of I mean obviously it's a little bit different at the moment because of COVID restrictions but our team can really facilitate um, coming along to employer days so we've got one in actually the agriculture, agriculture and horticulture section, sector in at North Sea Camp um, at the end of June. Um, and we have lots of kind of sector-based days, but also just open employer events as well. So where you can actually go and you know meet the men, men and women um, and actually could just go and have a conversation with them, talk to them about your jobs, your business, and how they might be a good fit. Thank you. We're out of time. I've Even me, I've just got caught out and it's nearly 12 o'clock. So thank you so much, all of you, for um, being part of the, uh, this discussion today. Thank you, everyone who came along. I hope you've learned something just to encourage people to um, to do something after this so that it isn't just something you came along to that you did something next. So you should be able to see now on the details of this. We've got a few more events coming up over the next few weeks. So thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the day and the lovely sunshine that's still out there. And um, yes, thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can listen to the next podcast in which we'll discuss neurodiversity and the importance of hiring, adapting and developing neurodiverse talent in our organisations. You can also watch the webinar series and pledge your support at www.cityandguiltsfoundation.org.